When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. I'd gone away. There was a change of ownership. I came back and I remember thinking, that ain't going to last. There was a boycott, so the fans were boycotting the club. Um, I carried on working there, it was, it was very difficult. We had lads drunk on the plane to start off with. The manager saying, um, I'm going to have them, going to send them back on the first plane home. We get there, he doesn't do anything. It was probably one of the worst periods of my life that about six months. Hello listeners, and for the last time it's Daz here to bring you some bonus content from season one of Lost Clubs. This next one is from a true Hereford legend, a man who spent most of his career with the Bulls and still considers himself a fan today. Grab yourself a brew and sit back to enjoy our interview with Rob Purdy. Okay, hi. Um, yeah, we're joined by Rob Purdy, former player for both Hereford United and Hereford. Rob, thanks so much for your time, mate. No problem. No um, problem. You kind of, uh, don't really need an introduction to anyone listening to this, I suppose, but we ask everyone, um, could you tell us about yourself, your career in football, and your involvement with both incarnations of Hereford Football Club? So I was, uh, yeah, I was youth team, youth team at Leicester from nine till I was 19, dropped all the way down to the conference with Hereford and then spent five years there and we got promoted on the fourth. Um, so I managed to play in the league with them. Darlington for a couple of years, Oldham for a couple of years, although I had a huge injury at Oldham, which means that I was at Oldham for a two-year contract and left about 16 months into that contract and I hadn't even made a first-team first squad. I had three operations. Um, so I came back to Hereford then. Then I got back into League One with Shrewsbury, which was a big thing for me because I'd missed my chance there at Oldham with my injury. Uh, and then, yeah, uh, I went part, uh, went back to Hereford in the conference and made the leap into part-time when I was about 31, 32. A year with Tamworth, three years back at the new Hereford and uh, managed to get three promotions and then changed my career into firefighting, which was a bit of a bit of a big change. Yeah, and as, as Tom said in the first one, that is quite a big change. Do you know what? It's like, uh, so I didn't think I'd get in because you don't have any skills as a footballer, if you know what I mean, you know, in the, in the grand scheme of things. But way I remember in my interview, I linked so much to football from firefighting, just waffling. You'll find out today, I like the sound of my own voice. And uh, I was just waffling about, you know, if you're in a fire situation, I need to know that my job's done, but I might need to help somebody else. Exactly the same on the pitch. Um, the right back might be getting overrun. I've got to make sure that I'm doing my job well enough that I can then go and help him. And just so many little bits, and I managed to like smash it. Luckily, then um, yeah, now I just know I'm, I'm set now till I retire. It's, it's really good because our 
I, I've heard over the years so many stories of um, footballers, particularly uh, semi-pro or lower league professional level, who, when they retire, they really struggle from a mental health point of view, finances, all the sort of big problems. And mm. if you've played football since being 15, like not many people have loads and loads of secondary backup jobs lined up. No, do you know what? I was the same as probably 99% of footballers where the amount of times when I was, say, between 25 and 30 and every, and you, you meet older pros and like, oh, what are you going to do after football? I'll figure that out. You know, and you end up, you get into 32, 33, uh, you drop into part-time, all your contracts are now half what they used to be and stuff. I remember the first, my first paycheck, I worked in the gym part-time whilst I played for Tamworth. I remember my first paycheck and I thought, Jesus, is that all I'm going to come out with? And that was a big, like, realisation. Because if I lose my football wage now, because I had a bad injury at Tamworth as well, a ruptured my knee. Um, yeah, I think I, I speak to a lot of players and they don't realise. And a, a big problem with that football culture is the ego. So, you know, they, they still they still want to hang around with their mates that are still playing. And, you know, their mates get the brand new car on finance. And, you know, it's only, it's only 400 quid a month. And it kind of like that ego in you makes you go, Okay, yeah, well, I'll, I'll do that then for a year because you want to keep up with them. Uh, luckily, in Hereford, I don't have those type of people around me. You know, uh, when I played professionally at Hereford, a lot of players were here. Um, whereas now, then they all go back to the big cities, you know, Birmingham, London, Manchester, things like that. So I didn't have that around me. You know, it was a nice little, nice little city out by ourselves. Yeah, it's same with. Um... Mac, when we were uh, in League Two the most recent time, most of our players, if they had like no match at the weekend, if you follow them on Instagram, they're all like back in London, Bristol, Manchester. None of them are like going for a walk Bristol. around Macclesfield. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We had a couple of players who lived in Bristol. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Scotty uh, Wilson, wasn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, yeah, it's, it is good. It is good that you managed to. Um, think about it rather than just get into the stage where you've got nothing that you can actually yeah. go on to do. Yeah, because uh, I think a lot of people don't have the direction, they don't have the drive in whatever job they go into, whereas, as I say, as a firefighter, it's like, I've got to learn stuff, else people people yeah. could die. You know what I mean, I could die, you know, it's, it's, mm. it's like that on some of the jobs. So, yeah, I, uh, I got I got lucky with that profession. Me and the movies, because we were, we were expecting our little boy, we... Uh, we landed on our feet with it. For real. A firefighter is the ultimate utility player in many ways. <laughs> it is. <laughs> the first day of training school, we got told you will be jack of all trades and ace of none. And I thought that is absolutely perfect. For real. Um, Tom, just to confirm, we did just go through question one again. So, um, oh, solid. Yeah. Yeah. So we're, we're, we're happy now and um, everyone's down great. Everyone's. Um, informed so uh you feel free to carry on from where we were cool fine uh cool so yeah sorry about that rob um as a player who originally left the club in 2007 to move to darlow what kept tempting you back to the, your first team uh it's weird really because if you speak to so many players played for hereford went away and came back it's almost like a comfort blanket here i think this is such a small well we're a big city Biggish city, but we're just cut away from everything else. So it's almost like a family yeah. run. Graham Turner instilled that anyway, a family run club. Um, and the same with the town. So at the town, you've got the SAS base and you've got their football team, they're the two main attractions type thing. And they hate each, all the fans of each hate each other, if you know what I mean. But football fans <laughs> inherit, you can walk through the town. I, I even do now, walk through the town centre, and someone will say hello to you because they, nice. they watch you. Yeah. So it's kind of like that home comfort. And when I, when I left Darling, when I left Darlington, I went to Oldham. I was just saying I had a really bad injury at Oldham. So I ended up there for probably about 16, 17 months. I didn't even make a match day squad. I was only fit for about three months of it. And Jamie Pittman got the Hereford job. So he brought me back to Hereford. Um, and no one else was going to touch me. I'd been injured for too long. Hmm. And I remember coming up the, the road into Hereford, big country lane from Worcester down to Hereford. Takes about 45 minutes to do 20 miles because you're stuck behind tractors and things like that. And uh, I remember getting to Hereford and just I felt like I was back home. 
Um, and it's the same. I went to Shrewsbury, came back, I went to came back, but it just I just stayed completely here. And I think I was a type of player, I love the challenge. Um, uh, I don't mind a challenge and I like new things and I think playing in different positions me, but I also like that little home comfort of, um, of, of knowing that you kind of liked, if you know what I mean. Yeah, no, absolutely. Good um, feeling. Good feeling. Yeah, oh, massively, massively. And I've, I've built that up and so 11 years of my career, 11 years of my 15, 16 were spent at Hereford in some capacity. So, yeah, it's... Uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a huge thing for me. And I live in Hereford now. My wife's from Hereford. Hates football. So I was <laughs> quite happy when I retired. She can't stand football. Um, but yeah, even now, I'm, I'm friends now with some of the fans and stuff, you see. You know, I've obviously had to ingratiate uh, my life into uh, to make friends in a new city. And a lot of them are Hereford fans. That's awesome. Yeah. I've been to Shrewsbury away. Like, uh, I, I kind of know what you mean. It's like the, there's there's a pub. And then you look around as you're spinning through the countryside and then there's like two houses. So yeah. you think, is everyone just like drink driving around here or what's the, who's this pub for? <laughs> no, yeah, it's like here, there's just so few and far between from seeing yeah. people. Cool. Right, I'm going to move on to the next set of questions, Rob, which are um, mainly about your involvement with United specifically. Um, so, according to your wiki page, uh, you had four spells at the original Hereford United, including a brief loan. Uh, during each of these stints with the club, did you ever feel worried about their financial situation? Uh, in the first five years under Graham Turner, we weren't paid much and sometimes the checks would bounce, but we knew the club would always be okay. And when I left to go Darlington, Graham offered me a good deal, really good deal for Hereford. Uh, he said to he's literally wanted to keep me. He said, I, but I can't offer you a penny more. Uh, some people that would have come in after me, you know, strikers and that, they would have probably got more money than what he offered me. Well, I went to Darlington for the two years, then across to Oldham. And then when I came back on loan, I came back to a, a club. They were still in League Two, so they'd gone up and down, but they were in League Two. So same league, same fan base. And there were players on double what I'd been offered. And I remember thinking, wow, I'm surprised at that. I remember thinking, where are they getting the money from? On top of that, all these players that had come in from different places, they were getting their two-bedroom apartments paid for with Sky and bills and everything like that. And I was thinking, God, I remember when I was 19 at Erif, I was on, I think it was £115 a week and told I've got to pay £70 a week for digs. Um, so, you know, so... I'd gone away, there was a change of ownership. I came back and I remember thinking, that ain't going to last because they were on five, 600 quid a week more than I thought anyone would be. And that was most of the squad as well. Uh, so the warning signs were there. And even when, so people say, you, were, you know, we got relegated and that's where the money trouble started. It wasn't. We could have stayed in League Two for a couple of seasons and we still would have gone bust because the wages were just too high. Um, Bad decision made. I remember one lad said to me, centre off, he was probably about top earner, probably about 15, 1600 pounds a week. Um, two bedroom apartment paid for in the centre of town, bills, travelling, everything. And I remember he said to me, uh, he was offered a 10% increase or 10% decrease in wage, depending on whether they get promoted or uh, relegated. This is when we'd stayed up on the last day of the season, the season before. And he said, why would I gamble with that? So I just said, no, my wage will stay the same regardless because he knew we were never going to get promoted. We just finished third bottom. And then we got relegated. So he's now on 15, 1600 pounds in the conference um, with a two-bed apartment uh, at a club, which historically you're probably looking at 10, 1100 pounds a week tops in one, top of League Two. So as soon as I came back, I knew that the, the club were going to struggle. Um uh, and then obviously I went Shrewsbury, came back again. And even the wage they offered me then, they were in the conference. And the wage they offered me then, I was a bit like, I remember thinking, I think I even said to the to the to my agent, like, I was like, have they got enough money for this? And he said, Well, they, they, they seem quite happy enough. There'll be three or four people on that wage as well. So I was like, Oh, okay, then no problem. And it was just a snowball effect. They just uh, they, they were never going to recover from those wages in League Two. Wow. You wouldn't have thought of Hereford as being like a, you know big spenders but um yeah I, I, I guess it wouldn't have been from lack of support because i know hereford we've always been a well-supported club so i guess 
that's the only thing that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, you know, in the conference, we were getting three to 4,000 fans, five and a half, if we had like a Shrewsbury or a Chester, something like that, top of the top of the class. Then when you get to League Two and you're struggling, you know, those fans drop to 1,800 mm. uh, straight away. Uh, even when we restarted the Phoenix Club, we had four and a half thousand through the gate on the first day of the season. You know, that's now down to sort of like 16, 1700. Uh, so, it, you know, it comes with success. But Hereford never were a high-paying team, never were. But for some reason, when they changed ownership, I just don't, I don't think they quite understood the business model. You know, no. you know, if, you, if you've never been involved in a club in football, and some people say, oh, well, you can get this sponsorship, this sponsorship, you probably think, oh, it's going to be amazing. And then they realise that it's not all there and, you know, people struggle to pay their bills and stuff like that. So, yeah, but we were pretty much doomed from when Graham Turner left. Graham Turner left, ran a real tight ship. As soon as he left, the club was just doomed. Goodness, mate. It's very telling, really. Mm. Um, so, uh, going back to a more happier memory then, uh, tell us about the 2006 conference playoff final against Halifax in your hometown of Leicester. Yeah, I mean, obviously everyone wants to play at Wembley. Uh, Wembley had been knocked down and was being rebuilt. So going back to Leicester was perfect for me. I'd never played at the new Leicester Stadium. I played at the old one, Philbert Street, when I was there. Obviously all my family could go. Um, and it's the best way to win it. You know, fans fans will sometimes say, oh, I just want a nice 3 or 4-0. But you don't remember those 3 or 4-0s, those 2-0s. Uh, to go one down, to go 2-1 down, and then to score in the last few minutes of... Uh, of extra time, there's no better way of winning. You know, I got my teeth knocked out after about 15 minutes by a big centre half. He's played for Chef Wednesday. I think Peter Atherton is his name. He fallen on me right in my mouth, and my teeth went horizontal. I just had two new front teeth put in, so I looked good at Leicester. I got knocked horizontal. Um, <laughs> I literally had to pull him back into play and then play with gritted teeth because they were just hanging out my gum. Um, and I had to change my shirt three times but yeah you know in front of all my family um, in my hometown got to play at Leicester saw a few of my, mate, my mates as well you know that I hadn't seen for a few years from the youth team and stuff it was just it was just perfect for us as I say that way to win a game is so much better than you know a 2-3 comfortable game 2-3-0 or something like that so it couldn't have gone better Amazing. It sounds like it would have been a, a great one to be. And and the fact, like you say about Halifax, um, who who were the opposition, that they've always been, like I've seen them many years up and down the leagues, they've always been what you'd call like a tough outfit to play against. And it, it seems like you definitely experienced the brunt of that on the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the Halifax were, were always a good thing. I'm not sure whether Chris Wilder was still manager at that at that time as well. Just a good, strong, but you never had an easy game. And then you look at that as well. We've got promoted and spent, what was it, probably about five years in the league, got up to League One, and they collapsed. You know, we went totally two opposites, and now they've obviously reformed. They're doing well uh, well enough now in the conference. Yeah, yeah good team. I've, I've always sort of kept an eye on Halifax. I've, I've been a big fan of what they've done. Um, so, next question. Um, did you feel that, Two promotions in three years between 2006 and 2008 played a part in the financial woes that would follow. Yes and no. I mean, Hereford overachieved to get to League One. They got to League One too early. You know, we had one season in League Two and then they went up the next season. They went up on uh, loan players, young lads like Gary Hooper, uh, Tiamani Diragaga. Theo Robinson, who guys have had really good careers. Um, it just it just knitted well for them. I think going up, they went up too early, which showed by the way they got relegated. Same turn, had one year left in League Two. And then I think maybe when the new people came in, David Keat, they probably saw it as, you know, well, we'll push to get back up to League One. And Hereford, you know, we're, we're, we're a League Two team. You know, we're a League Two club. And even, even nowadays, now we've lost the last five, six years or whatever, you know, other clubs are starting to overtake us with new grounds and things like that. And I think they probably set their aspirations a bit too high. It should have just been we're taking over a good club with a bit of money in the bank. Let's just tick along for a couple of years, flirt with playoffs if we get lucky and stuff like that, and then build. Whereas I think they just went straight away and went, let's get back into League One. Because they were fans, you know, they would keep their fans. And uh, I think he probably thought, I'll be the hero. 
you know, I'll get us back to League One. Let's put some money in it. Let's use all the money in the bank. We'll go back up. I think it was just a fairy tale, which only happens on champ manager. Well, football manager now, I'm sure my age there. <laughs> Sensible soccer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, fine. Uh, so the next one from me. As a player who was with the club when it was wound up in December 2014, uh, in fact, I think you did say actually you were involved in the youth setup by this point. Um, how did you react to the news? Yeah, well, we were uh, so we stayed up on the last day of the season, and then it, then it got then it all changed ownerships. Uh, they got kicked out of the league to the I think the, I think the Southern Prem. Um, and uh, I'd gone in and said, look, I'm happy to help rebuild the team. They wanted a totally different direction. Guys from London, they were, and they had no interest. Re- they, they wanted it for the land. It was all a big, messy thing. But yeah, I became youth team manager. So the youth team was one of those education uh, packages. And the players would train full time, three, four times a week, we'd have a game. So I was close to them. Uh, I had a few arguments with the management and the owners and stuff. And actually, the, the day when it actually got wound up was our Christmas do with the youth team, well, the, the coaches. So we were out in the afternoon having a few beers and then we got the, we saw it all come out, you see, that they'd been wound up and that was it. So we actually had to walk down to the ground and uh, all the fans were there trying to get into the ground to, you know, to say, you know, it's our, our club again now because there was a huge fight between the fans and the, and the owners. All the players were there who had been playing in front of two, 300 fans because they're the only ones that had stick with them. They were trying to get all their kit out without getting abuse of the... Uh, the fans, but I think um, we went back out and had a good night. Um, but I think uh, for me, it got to a point where it had to happen. You know, you never want it to happen, but someone else would have come in, maybe put a bit of money in, but it, the club would have just gone stale and it would have gone bust again and again and again. So I think a fresh start, it just got so bad. And the fans had kind of like helped with that because they didn't turn up to the football. We stayed up against older shot. And we took, I think, a thousand people to hold a shot on that final game, kicked out to the Southern Prem. And then a lot of the fans just said, this isn't my club anymore because of what the owners have done. So um, it needed doing. It needed doing that that uh, that July to December before they got wound up has pretty much just been deleted from every Hereford fan's memory. It just didn't happen. It was expunged from it because of how the owners had tried to run the club. Desperate times. I mean, having obviously just been through something similar at Macclesfield and um, obviously on lost clubs by the nature of it, we, we've heard similar things with Aldershot as well, who you just mentioned there. And um, there's just when it's the person, when it's one individual who's making thousands of people's lives like that, it's, it's just horrendous, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even when David Keats sold the club, he sold it to this guy, uh, a Gombar, London businessman he was, who was interested in football. Turns out he wanted to get the leases for the ground around and develop. I think he wanted to get a football club on the side of it, but that wasn't as interesting. He didn't buy into Hereford. Um, but David Keats as well, the fans turned against him and he could have sold it to the fans group that in, in effect then started the new club. But because there was such a breakdown between him and the fans and he was getting abused at games and things like that he kind of turned his back on the fans and said well no you're not having it then I'll send it to this guy so that's why the fans ended up sort of like deserting the club those five or six teams yeah yeah fair enough well just Rob because um, obviously we had a bit of a false start we're down to about four minutes now are you happy for me to set up a new link or have you got to shoot (laughs) off no, 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 no. That's fine, mate. Yeah, yeah. Just send, send me the details. I'll log back in. Nice. I'll just send them to you on WhatsApp then, because that this has been working really well. Yeah, yeah, that's better. Yeah. yeah. And uh, Tom, mm-hmm. I'll send you it in Messenger. Yeah, no worries, man. All right, I'll see you both in a minute. Cheers, mate. Bye. You know, we are now back recording. I'm going to continue okay. from where we left off because I think we did get to the end of that last question uh, in good time which is good so um, we know that as a player it can be really tough being with a club going through financial worries Um, from the players points of view was it business as usual whilst it was all going on or 
was there a, an inkling? Did you guys know that the club was on the verge? So, yeah, so the, so the season we stayed up against Oldershot, we would stop getting paid properly. Um, I think we'd even, even at one point, because we weren't getting paid properly, the PFA took a while to step in. I went into administration when I was at Darlington and the PFA were there straight away. Now, they have to draw the line at some point. I know, I understand that. And there's probably bigger fish to fry than, than a conference team. But uh, we weren't getting paid properly. And we had kind of agreed with the PFA that we'll get a certain amount. Uh, and I think, I remember actually, David Keat, the chairman, even he gave us new little side contracts to sign so that if we stayed up, each player would get a bonus um, to almost like kind of say, I need you to keep going for the club. Um, that didn't come to fruition. We stayed up and the new guy had to come in and pay us. Um, but he that was just null and void. It was just kind of like a little piece of paper that had been that could be tossed out. Um, but what it does is it separates the people that are, the players that are willing to just knuckle down and do their job and the players that don't care. Uh, that, that, that's what I found. We had a core of probably seven or eight players that did it for the right reasons. Then we had about another four or five, which would still turn up a little bit. And then we had some lads that all of a sudden, you know, they didn't have the money to travel into training. Uh, they got a lot of injuries, so they'd be better off staying at home than travelling in with an injury. Uh, things like that. You know, there was one lad, he, he went off with, we were really struggling. We had Barnet away and... Um, I think we were 2-0 down after about 15 minutes and he went off with concussion. And then he went out that night for his brother's birthday in London, you know, and it was a bit like, okay, so are you really injured or, or what? So what what, we had, what happened was Martin Foyle left, got sacked and they brought in Peter Beadle and he just filtered all of them out. No allegiances to mates or players, experience made nothing. It's like, if you want to work hard and try and keep the team up, then do it. And we were kind of trying to keep Hereford up because we knew that if we didn't, then the club would be gone. That was pretty much made clear to us. You know, in, when we stayed up on that last day of the season, we thought, great, club's here, it'll be fine. And then we didn't pay some debts and got chucked out of the league. So it was all for nothing in the end of it, in a way, apart from the memory of a last day escape. Yeah, so I suppose that, obviously, at the time, when that last day escape happened, what was the sort of general reaction from the players? Was it we've saved the club or was it limbo? So this is where I was totally different to any other player. And it's probably because I played for Hereford a, a, a bit. Uh, so when we, won, when, we, when we stayed up, we all celebrated. Like I say, we probably took about 1,200 fans. So we were jumping in with the fans and everything, you know, because we've saved the club. Um and then I remember I stayed out. I think I spoke to somebody or had an interview. And when I went back in the change rooms, I opened the door and all the players were there spraying champagne. We are staying up. And I just closed the door on it and went back out because I was still annoyed that we'd finished fourth bottom on goal difference, you know? So I wanted to celebrate that initial we've stayed up because I thought we'd saved the club. But for me then, after half an hour, it was like, right, how do we not, how do we go forward now? I don't want this to happen again. I saw the Derby players doing it, actually. Uh, yeah. A few years ago. You know, out with the fans, spraying champagne, drinking beers. And I'm thinking, you've just finished fourth bottom by default because you scored, because you drew 3-3. Three, three. Um, but yeah, so I was happy because of the club. I think the players just were happy to celebrate something, which is fair enough. And the fans were ecstatic because we played the club. But yeah, my head was more like, like, Hereford shouldn't be at this point. They shouldn't be this low. So this is just the, the start now of hopefully getting back to where they were. So I was probably a bit grumpy. I feel a little bit like Roy Keane moaning about it type thing and bringing a downer on it all. But that's how I felt. The Hereford Roy Keane, is that what they call yeah. you? Yeah. <laughs> level to Roy Keane. Yeah, a <laughs> bit, bit different there. <laughs> um, Tom, so you're going to ask a couple of questions now about the Phoenix years, as I'm calling it. Yeah, so on to more happier topics. How yeah. did you feel, Rob, when you heard that the Phoenix Club had been accepted to join the Midland Football League just six months on from their demise? 
Yeah, I mean, I think it was a tough one to take for some Hereford fans because Hereford fans were banking on the fact that because we get big crowds, they could they couldn't put us down that though because of away support. Yeah. Uh, wouldn't be able to uh, accommodate us and you know police and everything like that. So I think there was a bit of disappointment and shock when they got put into that that lower league. Uh, I had a few things going on that summer and I wasn't sure whether to go back. I didn't know what it was going to be like, but I signed in the end. I think I was about the seventh person they signed. Uh, and we we had literally just 20 trialists from Hereford, all the players in Hereford that always thought they should have a chance with Hereford. They're, they're, they're good enough. And it turned out, you know, that they weren't quite. We had a good budget, so we could afford a couple of players to come from out of Hereford. But yeah, just to just to get that club, the guy who started the club, not just him, but John Hale, who was the first chairman, was re- was the nicest guy ever, and he got that chairman role down to a T. He he helped. He spoke to the fans, and the club was ran properly. And we also got about four or five businessmen in Hereford who got a bit of money, big Hereford United fans, and they all put in fifty thousand pounds each to get the clubs going. So you know, this plan had been going on for. Well, a year, even when Hereford was Hereford United were still playing, this plan was being put into place so that when the club did finally go bust, they were ready to jump on it. Um, and then, yeah, you know, the start we started terribly that see that that season. I think we lost three out of the first four or five games, but then after that, we I think we won about thirty-two games in a row, uh, and it was just like you know we we then we were just too good for that league, but. You know, as I say, budget-wise, and we had some players like Ryan Green came back to us as well. And Greeny, you look, look him up; his career should have been so much better. But what player Green was? He, he had about eight or nine seasons for Hereford as well, wasn't he? But yeah, we were just happy to kind of have our have our club back, and we secured them playing at Edgar Street, which was the big thing because that brought the fans back. And as I say, first game of the season, Dunkirk at home, team from Nottinghamshire, and we had four and a half thousand people there. Wow. I'm always amazed by like the um, efficiency of people when they start a new, when they start a Phoenix club, like, you know, six months later, you've got a new club and it's back at the original ground. It's, um, it's always amazing to me because the same's happened with Mac. Yeah, yeah. like I said, I think, uh, I think a, lo- a lot of it had been going on for months before the club had actually gone bust. And there was, like I say, a good bit of money pumped into it so they could get things going. It was not like they had to spend three, four months asking for sponsors or asking for fans to put money in. It was there already, 200 grand in the bank. There you go. You know, a club in the Midland League with 200 grand in the bank. It's a, it's a half decent start. I um, I go to quite a lot of Midland uh, football league grounds. So I live in Stafford and... About five years ago, I went to uh, Brockton, which is basically my nearest club. And I always get chatting to the fans at grounds. And the first thing they said was, when Hereford came here, the banks and the hills, it just was filled with people. And usually they get average attendances of about 50 people. Exactly, yeah. And we took we took over a thousand people to some of these games, you know. And so some of these clubs are just literally, you know, the metal railing around the around the thing. And we're taking over a thousand people. It was mad. And as much as I think uh, it gave that league a bit of a buzz that season because everyone wanted to try and beat us, uh, but also the income that these clubs received from it. Although I think they so they were like, this isn't fair, you know. We we had. We had a good budget and a good manager who knew how to bring the right players in. So we got it perfect. And as I say, we were winning three, four, five, six nil every single week for the last sort of three, four months of the season. Uh, I think we lost we lost three in the first five, and then we lost one game uh, the rest of the season. Uh, but they, but in the end, they were just like, well, look, you know, one game against Hereford, and that's our budget done for three or four years. Yeah. So uh, we actually yeah. helped. That in a way, you know, not sounding, not trying to sound like some god team or whatever, but we actually helped everyone in that league by giving them a bit of cash because they're like an FA Cup draw. Fans can consume as well. You know, that's a lot more. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Unless you're Brockton, where they only have cans. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, but you can sell a can for a fiver if you want. Yeah, very true. I bet they, I bet they ran out within minutes. Yeah, most clubs did actually. Most clubs did. 
by the time you lads came off the pitch, there was no beer left, I bet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, fair enough. Cool. So, um, yeah, next question is, having played at Hereford for so many different levels, uh, fourth tier in the league uh, to ninth tier in the Midland Football League, um, so the question is, how did the heights of the EFL compare to the non-league days? Is how we phrased it. <laughs> yeah, it's um, so league football is obviously, I'd call it kind of like my bread and butter, the attitude and everything. Uh, I love that thing that you've got. You can have a laugh with your mates and everything. It's full time, but then once you go over the pitch, it's like right, you bang on. If you give the ball away, you're going to have three or four people shouting at you. When I got to uh, Midland League it was like kind of everything was a lot easier I remember one lad he booked a holiday for I think August and I was like can't go away in August we've got the games like players at that level were like yeah I know but we just go away when we go away it doesn't matter you just miss two or three games I couldn't get my head yeah. around it I lost yeah. my head <laughs> and, then, and what I found was myself uh, myself probably more than, than Greeny and then we had a couple of other lads that started to get on board we moulded that dressing room to make sure that it was a professional environment so if we had somebody come in who was a little bit that way, I remember we signed a big centre off from Southport for Jamie Willits, just no nonsense, six foot four centre off. Uh, and Thursday, he came in training on Thursday and said, Oh, um, what, what pub do we go after training? And I was like, What are you talking about? We've got a game Saturday. And he's like, Yeah, do we not go for a few pints? And I was like, Mate, that's not what we do here. And some people probably had to take a while to warm to me because I was just driven on winning. But what that created was that, that league mentality. Uh, and that's what got us those three promotions because we were we were a professional outfit. Uh, mm. We didn't let things slack. And we had one lad who liked to drink sometimes. And if he drank on a Friday night, which he liked to do, then he had to score on the Saturday. If he didn't, then we'd come down on him type thing. Um, but yeah, <laughs> the, the, the difference in professionalism, but we, we managed to get a good team together. We were we, we had it spot on. But obviously that prestige of playing in the league, you know, that's what I'm proud of. I had a good time in those last three last three things. And it was a bit like fancy football. It wasn't real football. We were just too good. Um, we had we, we could assemble the best team in the league, and that's why we did so well. Whereas league football, I kind of enjoyed that battle against the player, which is better than me. Getting yeah, the, for sure. You know, getting the report of people like uh, Matt Phillips, who's at West Brom, you know, young lad coming through at Wickham, and it's like, I've got to be on my game now. Um, whereas those last three seasons, I wasn't coasting. But I didn't have to particularly exert myself. That challenge in League One, and then when I bumped up to sorry, League Two, and then when I got up to League One, and it's like, you know, that that change of someone's getting the better of me, I, I missed that. That's the big thing that I missed. I loved winning, and it was easy and stuff like that. But I missed that challenge of coming up against a couple of players that have played a couple of times, and it's like I've got to be on there, and else they're going to do me. Yeah, great. That's um. I do remember a, a local team down here in, uh, near Bristol called Mangotsfield United. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. I remember, um, because Hereford were in their league one time and the game got rained off. Um, it was raining all day, but it only got called off at the last minute. And yeah, I remember all the Hereford fans going absolutely mental. And I was just like, uh, I see they're not adapting to life too well in the... In, yeah. the, in the like Western League or whatever it was. It was a pitch actually, it was frozen. I remember there was a little square, tiny square in the 18-yard box. And um, I think they came and poured a, poured a bottle of, uh, no, a kettle of boiling water on it to spoil it. <laughs> then froze a bigger area within about 10 minutes because um, it freezes quicker than cold water. So, yeah, huh. I, mem- I, mem- I remember that because I think we play- when we played you at our place, I think we beat you like, or three or three two, and that's you had a little lad played just off the front then. Uh, probably, I, I I don't know. I don't I don't follow my I don't follow Mangersfield really. So uh, yeah, I, just rem- yeah. I just remember the uh, reaction from the Hereford fans because obviously they travelled. <laughs> yeah, Tuesday night as well, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh god, get used always to it. The way. <laughs> it's always the way. Right mm. on to the next one. So. Wembley 2016 and the reason I wanted to ask this question is because I was actually there at the match so you'll be pleased to know that I have seen Rob Purdy score a goal at Wembley yeah, how about that good 75 uh, seconds went a bit downhill after that but it was a good 75 seconds yeah yeah I mean I remember the game so like so I was there and within 
it, I mean, Hereford were expected to win, um, yeah. you know, overwhelming favourites. Thousands and thousands of fans there against Morpeth Town, who are a relatively unknown club, unless you know your non-league football. And like you say, 75 seconds in, you got the ball. It was, it was. If I remember, it was quite a decent goal. It was about 25 yards out, I think. I've never hit a ball like that before. Only time I've ever hit a ball like it. Um, we trained at QPR for the two two days before the game, and we just had a free kick routine. Obviously, we played with different balls because it was a FA competition, and they just flew through the air. I remember thinking the day before, I was like, "Jesus, these balls just cut through the air." And some somebody, I don't know whether it's the air pressure or density in Wembley as well. It cuts through the air even more. It's like, I don't know whether it's the stadium or whatever. But I remember I was, I was, I was in my bed the night before. And I just thought, if I get a chance first five or ten minutes, I'll hit it. So if it goes in Rosehead, no one's going to remember it at all. And uh, even though it was only 75 seconds in, I'd already seen the space. I spoke to, I said to my centre mid and the, the left mid, who actually passed me the ball, I said to him, mate, if it drops down, come out to me. Because I could tell straight away I was going to have the space. That must have been after 30 seconds. And then, yeah, got it, hit it. Didn't even see it at the back of the net. As soon as I hit it, I knew it had gone in. Um, I was off. And then I um, ended up running off and realised I was running towards the Morpeth fans. So I kind of like veered to my left. <laughs> then realised that I was running to an empty stadium, empty part of the stadium. So then kind of just uh, collapsed onto my, uh, onto my knees. But like I said, it went downhill after that. I mean, we uh, 20 minutes in, we could have been two or three up. Probably should have been. But then after that, they just added exactly where they wanted us. I mean, we could still be there now and we wouldn't have got a second goal. They just, they just, their game plan was just perfect against us. And that was our fault. I think, I think we massively underestimated it. We'd, we'd won just one, 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 one. I know we weren't arrogant. I think we just felt like we'll win. You know, yeah, we'll be fine. What well, we, we could be two or three. I think they did their homework on us and they, uh, yeah, they 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 had us over easily on the end by the end of the day. Well, you know, there's there's every right to think that it's going to go your way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I said, we, we were just going into games and winning three or four nil. It wasn't even like a think of the opposition. It was just we will win three or four nil. It's just kind of the moment we got into it, just a move away from for us. We uh, they changed the way they played to try and stifle us, and we just went there and played our way. And uh, what it worked out is what they did. Our spare man was Jamie Willett, big centre Arthur mentioned. Couldn't kick a ball straight. He could edit better than he could kick it. And he was our spare man. So every time we got the ball, they let him have it. We couldn't play out. They had three in midfield. Bold lad, who was probably the best player on the pitch. And he was uh, he was their spare man. And they just tore us apart. Me, I remember speaking to my centre mid at half-time and we both had cramp already. The occasion and the, the chasing around on a hot day we were absolutely dead by half time, um, which was a shame, massive shame. I mean, you know, that was probably my best goal I've ever scored. And it's at Wembley. And even, even if I think about it now where it crops up, someone posts it, you know, five years ago or something like that. I love watching it. But then as soon as the clips finish, the just disappointment just hits. It's smashing. Yeah, it's the second half. Yeah, massively tainted by that. It's, it's, it's crazy how much how tainted that goal is. Fans will see me now. Like, hey, you can say you scored at Wembley, and it just not it doesn't not matter. But it like, half the time, just like it doesn't matter. It's just it's just such such a disappointing um, disappointing day. Yeah, yeah. Good goal though. <laughs> <laughs> I can show the I can show my daughter. Tell her we won one nil. Yeah, why not? You know, you after this time, I'm gonna. I'll. I'll look see if I can find it on YouTube, and I'll. Send I've seen it, mate. Yeah. Oh, have right. you seen it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cracking goal, yeah. from Absolutely. what I remember. As yeah. say, like, the ball stayed about knee height, or shin height. I've never hit a ball like it before. Never will again. I'm trying to go now. Oh, yeah. <sighs> right. So uh, the last question that we always ask everyone, just a sort of general mop-up thing. Can you tell us a particularly interesting story about your time at Hereford that you reckon might not have, you know, cropped up before? Like a little anecdote? Well, I can tell you the reason why we got relegated that season. Okay. And it started, it started in pre-season and it ended sort of well, it just carried on throughout the season. 
And it was just like the whole season was just a mess. I mean, when you know when like people say you don't want a relegation on your CV. So yeah. we got relegation season. I think six of us got a move to League One. That's how good that squad was. Um, you know, most teams you get relegated if you're lucky. You might scrape another team in that league, but six of us were playing in League One next year. Um, but the way it all fell down was just attitude, management, and everything. We went to Mercer pre-season. Um, it was supposed to be a big tour. We just finished third bottom the season before, so it was like kind of get the new squad together, go down, go over to Mercia in um, in Spain, uh, team bonding, everything like that. We get there, and it was just. We had lads drunk on the plane to start off with. Oh, uh, the manager saying, um, I'm going to have them, I'm going to send them back on the first plane home. We get there. He doesn't do anything. Uh, we go out in Mercia for a night. I think it's like Thursday night. There's no one out. or just a few locals who don't like the fact that there's 20 English idiots out drinking. We get on the coach and there was, I think, three separate punch-ups on the coach between the players. Uh, oh, my God. You had two players starting an argument like with one lad who started crying. Then we get back to the hotel and those two start having a fight. Another one joins in that fight. Then you've got two other players trying to smash a glass door to get to each other um, with little James McQuilkin trying to pull one of them back, which is just like a flipping fly on a back of a lion, like... And I remember thinking, this is just a nightmare. And I looked and the management team were just stood watching us laughing. And I remember thinking, this team is not going to go well. And then that season, it was just mess up after mess up after mess up. We had, we had a guy come in called Gary Peters, whose philosophy in football is you give the ball away to win it back in a better area. So his philosophy, huh. was you kick it as far as you can. And that was what he said. We'll, and I remember saying to him, but there's no one there. You still want me to do it? He's like, yeah, we'll give it away. Then we can win it back in a better area. I'm like, why can't we just keep the ball and not have to win it back? Uh, we, had the, we, had the, we had the manager, and uh, I think that was about 12 games left. And the manager had learned this from Graham Turner. So when he came out with it, I thought, perfect. This is exactly what we need. He came out with a board and had 12 games in it, but the last 12 games of the season. And then Graham Turner used to do it. And Graham Turner used to say, right, so in those three games, let's win four points. You know, you look at the games and think, tough games, let's win four points in those three games. So I thought that's what the manager was going to do. So he gets his ball out, and we've got Swindon away first game, and they're uh, top of the league, Swindon. So 12 games left, the first one Swindon away goes, right, let's see how we're going to stay up. And you look, this is a Friday, so the day before we're travelling over to Swindon. Swindon tomorrow, for me, we'll lose that. And he put an L next to it. What? <laughs> I just could. I, I lost my head. So I'm at the front. I was captain at the time as well. So I've got whoa, 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 whoa. Pitts, name James. Pitts. You can't go into a game thinking that we're going to lose it. And he threw his pen at me. All right, then. What do you want to do? Angry straight away. So I'm like, <laughs> so I'm like, right. Let's, and I said about you know break it up into three games each. Let's get four points. And that's how he goes. I'll tell you what we'll do. Picks his pen back up. We'll put the games that we're going to win. He went down those 12 games, we were only winning two. So it was just like, we went into the next 12 games like, well, this is just pointless, you know. Like I say, some of us had the right attitude. But yeah, he went down these 12 games and we only put a double for two games. And then he went back to the top and put a couple of draws in. And in the end, we didn't have enough points to stay up from what he'd started. But it was that type of thing. So players' attitudes are a huge thing about football. And if you think, as I say, like uh, the amount of those players that stayed that stayed in the league and went to League One from that, and a lot of the other players stayed in League Two as well. We had such a good squad, really, really good squad, and players went on to have decent careers. But just that attitude and that like management of players, it just showed me what a good manager can do with a group of players. And um, to go to Mercy at the start of the season and have three separate fights between the squad, and you just all kind of stood there with your arms folded, laughing. It just set the tone. Um, but yeah, that was that was the reason why Hereford fell out of the league. Management. That is played. unbelievable. <laughs> you know, when he said for me, we'll lose that. I was like, what's the point? What's the point? Um, but yeah, it was a it was an interesting season that was. 
very interesting season. For listening to this Pint of Football podcast, we would like to inform listeners that the content of this podcast has been permitted for use in this podcast only, and the content is from the view of the individuals involved, not Pint of Football. Thank you to Rob Purdy, Matt Healy, and Becky Meadowcroft for sparing their time to help us with this recording. If you have enjoyed this presentation, please feel free to follow us on Twitter at POF underscore reviews, on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash pint of football. Uh, we also have a website, pintoffootball.co.uk, I believe. And we have recently joined Twitch, where we will be streaming Football Manager, and that's twitch.tv forward slash pint of football. Thank you very much. Podcast Network. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply.